The Daily Tap is live for Monday. It is August 7th. We're going to talk about how college realignment affects the Wisconsin Badgers and the Arctic Golden Eagles. Got to get Marquette in there. We're going to also create a guide of how you talk about Jordan Love. And lastly, we will discuss the make or break week for the Milwaukee Brewers after a rough week end as well as week for the Brew Crew. Before we get going though, Follow us along on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. Facebook's been kind of popping off with the new reel sharing that they've been doing, so that's cool. I know there are some people that are joining us there, uh, which is great. Our thread's still a thing. I don't know. I haven't been on threads, I think, since the first week. So that thing flamed out super quick. Uh, did not really see the light of day. Uh, if you are somehow new to the program, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to have you. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're wherever you get your podcast. If you don't see our podcast where you listen to your pods let me know drop me a dm i will get that rss feed up and running because that is the type of one man shop we have for you here you all love the schedule i know you love the schedule uh, i will tell you that we'll have a pod tomorrow probably off on wednesday and then mitch and i either thursday or friday i do not know yet if i'm going to do a recap pod on saturday for the packers and the Bengals. um i might uh, outsource that to Instagram, ask the question if you do want a recap pod or you just want me coming on on Monday. Probably leaning towards the former, but let me know. All right, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about college realignment and the Wisconsin Badgers and a little bit of the Marquette Golden Eagles as well. The big college football realignment nuclear bomb dropped on Friday as Oregon and Washington joined the Big Ten You also had the Big 12 get members of Arizona State, Arizona, Utah into the Big 12. It has basically demolished the Pac-12 as we know it. It is now the Pac-8. It is a real sad scene. Uh, It's something that I think as college football fans, it definitely turns you off a little bit. I think as I was doing the notes, and we're going to talk about some real stuff at the very end because I have an interesting story to share, but I, I don't like it. Like I, I like the way that I watched college football forever. Uh, I would say that I like the Badger football team. Uh, I think with my growing fondness with Marquette, I've probably, it's a less of a love as it used to be. I think when I was pining to be a Badger football player as a high schooler. I, I like the team a little bit more. I love the sport of college football probably more than I like the Badgers, but I I could definitely get sucked back in, you know, with Luke Fickle and what the Badgers have building. I just think they have not been an exciting program for the last few years, and there's a chance to be revived. Now, if you could call me a Fairweather fan, that's fine. So, I do love Big Ten football, though. Like, I've watched Big Ten football for my entire life. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State was appointment TV with my father and I. Like, I I have always been a Big Ten football fan. And to have the influence and the injection of the Pac-12 is not necessarily a good thing, not necessarily something that I'm exactly looking forward to. But it's the world we live in, right? It, it You kind of have to get used to it. You kind of have to take your medicine if you want to keep watching that sport. Now, maybe it will drift me away as, you know, have kids and have more responsibilities and have less time 
dedicated to sports unless I'm incredibly blessed and start doing this for a living and it's the only thing I do, maybe I step away from college football. Maybe I just watch the big games at you know 2.30 or at 6.30. But it, it's, definitely, it's definitely different. Uh, and I don't know, it, it's a weird feeling. It just is. And I, I don't think that anybody at Wisconsin in terms of Chris McIntosh, the AD, Luke Fickle, the head coach, uh, anyone else in the program really gives a shit about the fans. And I know that sounds callous. I know that sounds mean, but it's true because they benefit greatly from this. They are in one of the big swinging dick conferences. And you could argue that they are a bigger dick right now than the SEC. Yes, the SEC wins a lot of football games. The SEC has national championships up the ass, but they do not have the coast-to-coast impact that the Big Ten currently has. And the SEC being sort of isolationist in the sense of that they're only in the South really lose out on that. Now, if they went up and got themselves Virginia and Virginia Tech and Clemson and Florida State, all of a sudden now the SEC has really sort of got all the way out to Texas and Oklahoma and up the coast a little bit right around the Mason-Dixon line. I will save your Confederate jokes and and make one myself because yeah, basically we've developed the Civil War uh, and that's what college football might be. It might just be the SEC and Big Ten and that's it. Now the Big 12 has certainly added themselves to the big swinging dick and Brett Yormark has shown what you can do with a pretty good commissioner. Uh, George Karkloff is the absolute opposite and he has fumbled the bag in so many different ways. And as Justin Wilcox, former Badger defensive coordinator said, uh, it was completely preventable. And he's absolutely right. If they would have got a media deal, if they would have took the deal that the Big 12 did from ESPN, this would have all, this would never have happened. And that, that's the frustrating part, I think, going back to my original point about me, the college football fan. But the Badgers are in this upper crust and the Badgers were always there and they're safely there at the moment. And they're right alongside with the SEC and the Big 12. And then I believe that second tier is going to be the Mountain West, which I assume will absorb the rest of the Pac-8 teams, the AAC and the ACC. Then I think that third tier is the MAC, the Sun Belt, and the CUSA. You could also argue that the AAC, the American Conference, that is, is in that third tier, actually, and not exactly in that second tier. And what happens with the ACC and the and the uh, Mountain West? Like, I don't think they would come together, but is there a, a sense that why wouldn't the Mountain West just join the Big 12, and why would the ACC just join the SEC? I, I don't think, I think it's too big at that point. But who the fuck knows at this point? And so yes, the Badgers are going to reap the benefits of that. They get a chance to expand their footprint to the Pacific Northwest. They get a chance to talk to recruits you know, in Seattle, which can be a hotbed. Talk to recruits in Oregon, whether it's in the cities of Portland or I'm trying to think of another big city in Portland, but the, other than Portland, but it, whether it's rural or in the actual cities itself, they can expand their footprint. Also in Northern California, in a sense too, because they can sell these recruits that you're gonna be, you're gonna at least be able to see see your son play. You're gonna be able to see your mom and dad because we'll get out to Oregon, we'll get out to Washington, we'll get out to USC or UCLA. 
and there's a little more of a selling point. So there is more of a West Coast influence. Now, Wisconsin has recruited places like Hawaii. Nick Herberg is a great example of that. Uh, and LA and California in the past. Like, it's not uncommon to them. They, they are not staying in just the Midwest. But I do think that this helps the Badgers and builds more brand recognition, you know, brand recognition that they didn't necessarily have in that part of the country. Now, I would say that most Big Ten teams do not have that. I think Ohio State and Michigan are premier brands that will will have it everywhere you go, right? I think you could talk to somebody in Portugal and ask them, what do you know about college football? And maybe one of their answers is Ohio State or Michigan, right? I think you're just going to know those those teams at a totally different level than you would say the Badgers or like a Penn State or something like that. So I, I do think that there is a you know a window of opportunity there to really capitalize in the Pacific Northwest, not only for the Badgers but for a team like Iowa, a team Penn Penn State. You could argue is in that Ohio State. I, I don't think so, uh, but I, I would add Penn State to that mix. I'd say Minnesota. Uh, Maybe maybe a lesser tier, but there are Michigan State. I think is another good example of that. That right. So I, I do think that there is an opportunity there. Wisconsin also, you know, has a rivalry. I feel like with Oregon already, and I, I think that is a cool part of this. That if you are a diehard Badger fan, which I know some of you who listen are, I think there is a real rivalry with Oregon, right? Uh, whether it is the fact that. They played non-conference games uh, with the Badgers and the Ducks in the early 2000s. Who could forget the Nick Davis fumble? Uh, That was a primetime game. It was rare at that point that the Badgers were a featured primetime team. And they were in primetime for that game. Nick Davis had a brutal fumble. Uh, I, I think it was back and forth game. It was Joey Harrington was the quarterback. So now, now all of a sudden it's coming back. Because I remember watching with my parents in my den of my house. And I, I Joey Harrington was a big fucking deal at, for that Oregon team. And it was a back and forth game. And yeah, Nick Davis fumbles the football. They also had the Rose Bowls that, you know, whether it was the Russell Wilson Rose Bowl that the Badgers lost the back and forth game in that one or the Justin Herbert masterclass uh, in the second one that the Badgers lost to the Ducks. So they're, they, and they've played a bunch in, in basketball too. They played in the NIT last year. Uh, they've played in uh, NCAA tournament games. So there, there's a real like familiarity with the two programs. And I, I think that's a good thing, right? I, I, I don't think it's going to be as weird as the Badgers in USC, which is slated for next year. That to me is weird. I, I can't, I, I'd have to look back, but it's been a while since we've seen the Badgers in USC. Badgers in UCLA, yes, there's some Rose Bowl familiarity from the 90s, but that, that's been such a long time ago. Now, I, do I remember you know, those games? Yes, I do, but I'm also a fucking geezer at this point. So there, <laughs> there, there is that. But yes, there, the Oregon familiarity, I think, is a cool, another cool part of this. The, there's not really much with Washington. They met in the Rose Bowl, I believe, in the 60s. Uh, but nothing really, you know, stands out to me in terms of the Badgers and the Huskies. Um, so that one will be, you know, kind of getting there. But I will say it's a definite road trip, you know, opportunity for Badger fans because it's in Seattle. It is sort of seen as a elite school. They have, it's off the lake. It's a big time party there. 
I think that a lot of people will try to make, you know, their travel plans around whenever the Badgers do go to these places. And I think, and I know Eugene, it's really hard to get into. I know that's a very tough place to, you know, see a, see a football game. But I, I do think that that will be on the table for a lot of people in terms of planning their sort of road trips. And that's, I, I think, part of this expansion that, that is, can't be understated. And I, and I know it will be difficult for those who, you know, don't have the money to spend it on flights and where you could drive to, you know, your closest game, right? If I wanted to plan a road trip, I have looked at the Badger schedule that definitely recently. But if I, I can look at it now, wanted to go to see the Badgers play. I don't think they're, are they, are they in Iowa this year or are they at home in Iowa? But, it, but for example, like, so let's go to their schedule for this year. If I were to go see the Badgers in 2023, so, like let's say I go to West Lafayette on that Friday, right on the 22nd, uh, you could drive down, you could do that in a night, right? That, that's an easy, that's an easy night. Iowa's actually at home, but Illinois, another example, right? You could easily drive down to Illinois. I think that's like a six hour drive to Champaign. You could do that. Bloomington, Indiana, you could drive easily to that. Uh, you drive up to Minneapolis for the Axe game. You can't drive. To, to watch. Like that's a 26-hour drive. Like you have to fly out to see those teams play. And some people can afford that. Some people can't. And I think that's again part of the frustration with some of the the negativity around it. Well, we just talked about a lot of positives, but yeah, there are there are negatives. The other negative could be the fact that was they're going to strip conferences. I don't know how they're going to structure it entirely but i think the fact that there's been some bubbling about moving the ohio state michigan game which i agree feels sort of sacrilegious i can't really fathom it not being the saturday after thanksgiving but i think the reason why that conversation has started is because they're going to get rid of conferences and there's a thought that you're going to get ohio state michigan the week after right in the big 10 championship game and because of that, they want to try to avoid it in terms of, and really get their best bang for their buck. Now, if I were them, what I would do is I would do it the first week in November. Move it up to the first week in November. Have it be 11 a.m. Do do, keep everything else the same. 11 a.m., Ohio State, Michigan. Then at 2.30, you have LSU, Alabama, usually. I think they typically play on the 5th of of so that first, I, I don't know why I'm using the 5th of November, but the first weekend in November. Uh, and I think that would be great. I think then you're, then basically you, if you get Ohio State, Michigan again in the championship game, it's a month later, you know, there, there isn't necessarily this, oh, we're watching the same thing over and over again. And that to me is the next Big Ten move. And I don't know if it's going to happen next year. But I think it's going to happen at some point. And people are going to be pissed. And I said to you before, like, that's a traditional thing I watched with my father growing up. It's something that will piss me off, but I will understand why. Because it's the allure of getting the title game as bad as Michigan and Ohio State. But that hurts Wisconsin. Because Wisconsin was able to say, all right, we can take the West and, you know, get into the Big Ten title game. And it's great brand visibility. And maybe we'll get a shot. Maybe we'll shock the world here. And that, that door is going to close here. I don't know when. I don't know if it's going to close next year. I don't know if it's going to close the year after that. 
But that door is closing. They're not going to do, you know, two two conferences of nine. And Wisconsin's lumped in with Washington, Oregon, USC, UCLA. Even lump, being lumped in with UCLA, and or USC, excuse me, and Oregon's difficult year in, year out. And that makes that West a lot harder. But I, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to just let everybody fight it out for themselves, come up with however you want to figure out tiebreakers, and that will be it. And because there's so many teams, they're not going to play each other every year. And we're going to get to that schedule in a second because it's going to be a bear. But I, I do think that's going to hurt Wisconsin a bit because you're every year, not only are you going to you know have to compete with Ohio State, you're going to have to be with Ohio State and Michigan and teams like Penn State, uh, Penn State, USC, Oregon. Like that, that's difficult, right? That is a very difficult thing. I also would predict that you're not going to see the Big Ten title game stay in Indiana. I know they have a long-standing partnership there, but at some point that thing is going to go east-west. At some point you're going to have it in Vegas. At some point you're going to, which will be ridiculous when it's Ohio State-Michigan, but everyone will show up for that. It'll be packed, right? You'll do it in Vegas. You'll do it in SoFi Stadium. You'll you'll do it. You'll pick a lot of these domes locations out west because you have the brand visibility and the, the money is going to be there. I promise you that. Uh, also, too, in terms of Wisconsin's overall ranking in the conference, it, it does. I don't know if it takes a huge hit. I, I kind of put Wisconsin and Oregon on the same level. Now, has Oregon been more successful than Wisconsin in the last 10 to 15 years? I think by the fact that they've gotten to two national championship games, you have to put Oregon ahead of them. I'd have to really look into it. I think maybe that's a podcast for another time because uh, I, I just know that I'm going to get a, a text message challenging me on that. But I, I do think like they're they are on the same level, right? I, I think that you know USC, Michigan, and Ohio State are on a set on one tier. I know USC hasn't been good, but it's still it's still USC about who matters, who's the most important. Like those three are the big three, right? And then I think you have Wisconsin. I think you have Oregon. I think you have Penn State. I feel like that is your next tier of teams. And then then you can get into maybe a UCLA, a Washington, uh, your Iowa. Iowa could even be in that mid-tier, right? In that four through six. I could even you know hear the case for Iowa to be included and be like the seventh team in there. But Wisconsin is going to have to keep keep it going because you can be irrelevant really fucking quick now in this conference like you can have people just forget about you with a couple bad years because there is really no room for error and business has picked up and i i do believe that luke fickle knows what the hell he's doing i think luke fickle is going to build a winner at wisconsin i think the luke fickle impact will be real i've been sitting on a luke fickle topic that i haven't done yet but i i hope to sometime soon it's just when you have there's so much going on it's hard to it's hard to find the time and i probably should have done it in july but that's another story for another time the schedule will be a bear and, and that's that's another another part another takeaway from this is looking at the Badger schedule for 2024 now to kind of shift gears a little bit. You don't know the dates just yet. You just know who the Badgers are playing in the Big Ten as of today. And here's what it is, just so we all we all are on the same page if you haven't seen it. 
At home, they're playing Indiana, Minnesota, Penn State, and Purdue. They currently have four home games. They have five road games going to Iowa, going to Maryland, going to Michigan, going to Nebraska, and going to USC. So they have one of the new teams headed out to USC, the Badgers in LA, which will be a big deal, be a big premier game, I'm sure, for the broadcast networks. They will likely probably take away a non-conference game and put a 10th team in. And they will likely get a home game for Oregon or Washington. And that to me is how they will do this. Now, I don't know if that's gonna be for every team. I, I don't really know if they, or if they need to just go all the way back to the table and say, we're redoing the schedule. And oh yeah, by the way, you only have 10, you have 10 conference games now and we're taking away a non-con. Now, I, I do also wonder, they do, is that even possible? Do they want that to happen? Is, you know, what does the buyout look like to not play Western Michigan or South Dakota? I assume it's not much. There's no way they're going to take away that Alabama game, which is a high profile game for both Wisconsin and Alabama, more so for Wisconsin, as Alabama comes to town on September 14th next year, which is will be a big fucking deal. And that will be a, a one that matters uh, in terms of the landscape of college football. And it's going to be a absolute bummer when that game's at 11 a.m., by the way. Uh, we could just, we'll just, we could add that outrage uh, now. Like, we're going to be so mad, but that's a big noon kickoff game. Because you know it will be. Because that's what Alabama-Texas was. And big noon kickoff is like, out of all the new things that have happened in college football, big noon kickoff is probably one of my least favorites. Uh, but that's, again, another rant for another time that, that I think I've went on like six times. But... Yeah, that schedule, if it goes to 10, it's going to be a fucking monster because you have Alabama included in that as well. Uh, it's not going to be easy for the Badgers. So I don't know what they're going to do there. I, I think that's that's a real challenge because how do you how do you suss that out? Right? And adding a second team and saying, all right, or adding two teams and, and assigning them games, it's, it's going to be difficult. And I doubt Wisconsin will, will go on the road for two West Coast games. I would assume that if they were to bring, you know, one of those teams in, it would be either Washington or Oregon heading to Camp Randall. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see there. Let's talk a little bit about Marquette uh, before we, you know, wrap this up. And we've went long. I, I didn't realize I was, I was just flowing here. Uh, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about the Golden Eagles here. Basketball is still here, right? Like basketball still exists. It's not just about college football, yet this is an impact, right? Like how many bids are these fucking conferences going to get with the SEC, the Big 12, as well as the Big 10? And the Big 10 didn't necessarily become a better basketball conference uh, with the addition. UCLA is a big one, right? With Mick Cronin and what he's built in that program, but USC's been up and down. Andy Enfield runs an okay shop, but USC is never really seen as a dominant force in college hoops. Uh, Oregon has, you know, not been the team of the Ridenauer, Luke Jackson days. Like that, those days are are have been long gone uh, for Oregon. And Washington always has talent, but they never seem to bring it all together. So I don't necessarily see it as a big win for the Big Ten. I do see it as a big win for the Big 12. Brett Yormark has talked about how much he loves college basketball. It's why we talked about, you know, UConn, who doesn't appear to be moving yet. But I, I do think that they're on shaky ground. And I do think that's still something to watch, right? If the ACC decides that they need more teams, 
I think they go immediately to UConn because I, I think UConn, yes, would hurt them in football. It would help them tremendously in basketball and kind of reestablish their stranglehold as this awesome basketball conference. And I know they're hesitant to add UConn in the past, but this would be a layup for them because then you have the UConn-Syracuse rivalry back. You have UConn-Louisville. You have, what else is missing there? UConn-Pitt, right? There, there would be a lot there. UConn-Boston College, which was a you know formerly big rivalry. Like that shit would matter in college basketball and would you know add to your profile. So I'm not counting out that UConn isn't going to move and that would be a complete death blow to the Big East. And then it makes you wonder, does the Big East try to get greedy, adding a Gonzaga, adding a St. Mary's, adding a Wichita State? Like, is that the route they go? Do they start picking off A-10 schools? I prefer the Big East to stay where they are. I think the Big East, you know, has had this revival and it's been a great revival. And I, I do think that that can continue as long as UConn stays. And UConn is a linchpin. And I, I know I kind of hate saying that because it's like, well, we survived without UConn in the past. Well, shit's changed. Shit's changed. UConn's become a prominent name again. UConn's, you know, when they sort of rose to power in the American Conference, it was, they had won a couple titles there, right? It wasn't necessarily where they are now, where they're on top of the college basketball world after winning the title and the Big East is kind of back and you have this just uh, the coaching everything else Patino and St. John's the, the whole thing right but the Big East media deal is still out there and I think it's something that they need to work very quickly on uh, as pointed out by others the inventory is going to go away the inventory is not really going to help the Big East. Uh, as Darren Bordeaux of Wild Jays, uh, a Creighton blog, points out, this implosion of the Big 12 does not help the Big East and the future media renewals. More games on the Big 10 that Fox will have to handle, more inventory previously than with the Pac-12, Big East hoops has fewer spots in other sports like volleyball, soccer, women's basketball lose out. Big East will need multiple media partners. Absolutely correct, great take. Uh, and it, that part, you know, I, scares me a little bit for Marquette. I do wonder, you know, will CBS and NBC do more with Big Ten hoops? You know, CBS has golf, so that's part of the thing that gets in the way. Does NBC, you know, become more of a factor? Is, is Are they able to say, all right, we'll do Premier League games, and then we'll do college basketball. They put more on USA. They do a 10 games on USA. Do they make that more of a prominent thing? We don't know that yet. And that's, that's something that's very interesting. Does ESPN come back? Remember, ESPN's going to lose out on a lot of inventory with their lack of Big Ten games. I, I, I'm pretty sure, and someone could definitely fact check me on this, like, I don't think we're going to see any Big Ten games on ESPN, right? Like That's pretty much how it's going to go. So it's like, they're going to need more. So does ESPN come back to the Big East? Is the Big East able to get you know, the, sort of a Pac-12 or a Big 12 deal. Maybe not at that same level, but in that same construct, in that same sort of way to help. And if we do get the Big East back, by the way, can Big Monday come back? Can we do Big Monday the right way again? Can we go Big Big East, Big 12, like at the West Coast Conference? Like, can we really do that? Uh, I, I, I really hope so. Uh, but I, I do think Marquette needs to, Marquette and their, you know, administration needs to act quickly. And they need to figure it out sooner rather than later. And if you have to involve streaming, you involve streaming. I am hesitant on streaming. I think 
that we're learning more and more that streaming is not a viable option for you know teams linear tv matters still man people are still watching linear tv i think more people will go back to linear tv i i don't think streaming is this end-all be-all the last thing i'll add i'll add some real talk here at the end and then we'll move on to other topics which i've went very long on this i am scared as bill Connolly pointed out of this super league right where it's the you know those top three teams i talked about usc michigan ohio state what's stopping them from starting their own like 20 team league and just playing each other and you know it's basically this high level competition and there there maybe isn't exactly conferences and everybody's playing each other and they form basically this thing away from the ncaa there is no leadership right now there is not a college football commissioner charlie baker was fucking silent the new head of the ncaa he was nowhere to be found they need to get somebody to rein this in and I don't know if it's lawmakers. I know we hate when lawmakers get involved, but if lawmakers force them to have some sort of leadership figure, some sort of person, man or woman, who can step in there and start, you know, making sense of it and putting up guardrails and, you know, making sure that this doesn't get to a point of no return. Because it does feel like we're very close there. It feels like we're already there. I was talking with my wife's uh, friend's boyfriend who is from Washington State originally and went to Wazoo and his parents live in Pullman. And he's like, you have no idea how much this is going to kill that city. Pullman's a city of 10,000 people. They have a 40,000 campus. They you know, thrive, the economy thrives on game days. They thrive on fans coming in, hotel sales, the whole thing. And this is going to kill their local economy. His parents are freaking out, wondering if they should retire from Washington State because they don't know the future of Washington State athletics and where Washington State is going in terms of viability. And those are real things that are happening in cities that aren't the big ones. So I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. It's not just I'm sad college football is changing, but it's sad that there are real consequences and real cities and real people that are affected by this change. And that's, that, that hurts. That, that does hurt to hear. So I, I would ask you to think about that when, when this is going on. That there are you know, businesses, families that are impacted and it goes beyond just us tuning in at 11 a.m. on a Saturday, on a beautiful fall Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Or Saturday morning. So I, I apologize for ending it in a downer. I still think it, it you know it, it's a big deal and it, it works in Wisconsin's favor. But yeah, we gotta we gotta make sure we're thinking about those people too, because it really sort of changed my view on it. And I think maybe that's why I, you know, started this a little more negative is having that conversation was something A, I didn't expect to have, but B, it was definitely something that, you know, made it changed it a little bit for me so maybe it maybe it does for you maybe you're just like ah, i don't care <laughs> that's that's okay as well so let's uh move on and talk about jordan love a little bit and continue on with the show jordan love uh family night happened over the weekend uh but before family night did jordan life jordan love became this big topic 
in the in the sort of hot take world, right? Uh, it was a topic on first take. Diana Rossini did her thing that she did on Ryan Rossillo, where she said basically this is a one and done year for Jordan Love. Adam Sheen called him a bust and said it's a debacle in Green Bay. Basically, you know, paraphrase reporting from Matt Schneidman. Really shitty stuff from Adam Sheen. The Packer media has tried to pull the reins back a little bit on the Jordan Love hype. Rob Domofsky started it, and then you kind of saw it as the week went on. Ryan Wood had some weird tweets and everything else. So there, there's a lot happening. Not that, that has nothing to do with really what's on the field. And I want to create a guide for media members and maybe just fans in general about how to talk about Jordan Love and what we need to do here because I feel like it's a little bit out of whack at this point, all right? And step one is love can be critiqued and criticized, but it's okay to be excited too. Some of the passes that Jordan Love made on family night were fucking absurd. These were throws that we saw Brett Favre make, that we saw Aaron Rodgers make. It's okay to talk about him in a high regard too. Like that is allowed. Like we're allowed to be excited. We don't need to have trepidation with everything. We don't need to have qualifiers with everything. When you saw the throw, the sidearm throw near the, the end zone, you can say that that was vintage Brett Favre. And then the jump ball they threw to Christian Watson to really end family night, that was vintage Aaron Rodgers. I've seen Aaron Rodgers do that a hundred goddamn times. So it's okay to have that excitement. It's okay to let that into your writing, let that in to your commentary because that's that's what it's all about, right? And so, yeah, he can be critiqued, he can be criticized, but you also have to build him up. You can also talk about the, you know, the good things, right? That that has to that has to come in there. The Packer media doesn't have to be cheerleaders, but they can at least acknowledge that there are good things. And it doesn't make you somewhat like a fanboy if you're like, oh yeah, love look great on this player, this player, that play. Like that's that's all right. Like be excited. Like that's worth talking about. There, you can talk about why you can see the excitement from the Packers locker room and, and why they love this guy so much and everything else. Like those things matter. I also think another thing is step number two is we do not have to make up our minds on Jordan Love after a week of training camp. We have a long way to go. We are nowhere near our decision made on Jordan Love. None of us knew what we had with Aaron Rodgers even after 2008. Nobody probably knew what they had with Brett Favre in 1992. There is time here. Now, our, the way that media works these days People don't allow for that. People don't. People can't let anything breathe. They have to have a reaction. They have to, you know, throw out some ridiculous take that goes viral because that's the world we live in. Unfortunately, it sucks, and it sucks for a guy like Jordan Love. It would have sucked for Aaron Rodgers had he come along five or six years later, right? It would. It's just pain. It's hell on earth, and there's really not much we can do about it. Even though I can say this and say we don't need to make up our minds on Jordan Love, I sh- I'm sure as shit going to probably have things I regret that I say about Jordan Love after week one, after week two, after week three. But it could be totally different in December. It could be, you know, like it, it could stay the same, 
but it's likely that everything is going to evolve. And by the end of the year, we'll have at least a baseline that we know what Jordan Love is. We don't have that yet. And I think that's something that we don't typically see in sports these days. We usually have a baseline. We usually know what a guy is coming out of college or we've seen enough you know, game film where we have it. There isn't enough. This is sort of secretive in a way. And I think it drives a lot of media members crazy. And so that's why you get the Rossinis and the Sheens of the world, you know, throwing out takes that, you know, just aren't fair after a week of training camp. I, I mean, I know Rossini's was, you know, not even training camp. It's just basically he has one year to prove himself. And I understand that Diana is, you know, is kind of stepping into more of the, you know, analyst role, which is fine. But I, I totally disagree with that. And I said that a couple of weeks ago, but it bears repeating. It's like, no, he's going to get another year. But if they struggle, they're going to draft a quarterback in the first round or the second round, and they're going to make Love win the job. And they're going to put pressure on Love, just like they did with Brian Brown. And there will be people that believe whatever quarterback it is, if it's Bo Nix or it's Jordan Travis or it's somebody else, that they might get the job over Jordan Love. So, yeah. Step three is... Something negative, someone wants to say something negative, that's their right. Like, we can talk about this guy negative. Like, Jordan Love can be talked about negative. We can be critical of Jordan Love. That can happen. I think sometimes Packer fans have an innate ability to not get defensive. They get triggered so fucking easily. Now, I think that there are parts of Brewer fans that get triggered. I think there are Bucks fans that get triggered. But I think Packer fans are the worst of it. That's why we created the Packer Pinhead Report in a way be back in the day because you just hear some asinine fucking takes. And there is always a defense of the quarterback. Aaron Rodgers, you know, would get criticized to a point, but then everyone would be like, well, is the criticism too much? And as I'm talking about Jordan Love. So I, I, I do respect those who had the negative opinions. I'm going to keep the receipts. And we're going to just see where we are in December. And and that's okay that they're talking negative. I think where I took umbrage with the Sheen stuff was the fact that, or it might be Shine, whatever, it doesn't matter, is that he basically, you know, called it over after a week of training camp. Like that's, I mean, that's just, there. there is a line. And I, and I think that we need to know that line. And that's that's kind of a, a okay to allow criticism in. And then lastly, like, let's not compare Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. I know we're going to do it. I know we're going to be addicted to it. I know we're going to look at their stats side by side, all that bullshit. But there is no need at all because it doesn't matter. They are in two different spheres. Aaron Rodgers is in a top five, top 10, top 10 for sure, top five, certainly quarterback. And Jordan Love is just starting his career. All right. Jordan Love is a rookie for all we know. I realize it's not, and that might be flippant, and that might be offensive to Jordan Love, but I just don't, I can't see us, you know, talking about those guys the same way. I know we will. It's unavoidable, but we, we really do need to separate the two, and I, I will at least try to do a good job of that. I know I'll, I'll talk about Rodgers. Hard Knocks coming up. That also is the reason why maybe the tape on Wednesday, but uh, we'll, which we'll talk about, but it's, it is one of those things where I, I do think that Aaron, like you can't compare Rodgers and Love. It just, just can't do it. Uh, and we'll 
So we'll see what happens. Uh, a few quick thoughts from family night. I don't have a ton. Uh, really was more offensively. I was really impressed with how big Luke Musgrave looked. Uh, I think the Packers have something there. I've not seen a tight end kind of roam the middle of the field like that since Sir Michael Finley. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll put it out there. Uh, he looked awesome. Uh, so I'm very excited about Luke Musgrave. I think that I'm more confident in the rookie tight ends than I was, you know, last week. And that's, again, we just talked about, you know, how things can change. Opinions can evolve. That's how I feel about that tight end group. I think Devontae Wyatt is a complete stud. Um, I am all in on that too. Uh, the chips have been pushed in there. And I, I think the offense is still, you know, getting air. I, Anders Carlson, really a redemption day for him. You know, when the lights were brightest, he came through. Mason Crosby was ready to get that call. Andrew Carlson's like, no, we're not doing it. Uh, so there, there was that. Uh, but yeah, it, all in all, I'm excited for week one of, of spring training. Of spring training, I keep saying that. Uh, of preseason. And look forward to uh, Packers and Bengals on Friday night. All right, let's wrap up with the Milwaukee Brewers. I wasn't trying to shun the Milwaukee Brewers. I just, I just... You know, we've talked a lot about the Brewers. We're getting into the meat of football season. This is when, like, high school football starts for a lot of people. So we, we just had to start football today. For the Milwaukee Brewers, it was a rough weekend. Uh, if I would have a Friday show, I would have been really excited about how they played on Thursday because it, I felt like they gave a shit. Like, it felt like they came out, were mad about what happened in Washington, and took out a lot of frustration and won 14 to 1 and played really good baseball and were you know all over you know the Pittsburgh Pirate pitchers if only the Brewers could have saved or spaced out a few of those runs for the rest of the weekend the Brewers are very lucky to get a split from the Pirates uh they were you know pretty much dead in the water it seemed on Saturday and the Brewers were able to find a little late inning magic won their first game after trailing in eight innings and that was a great win for the Brewers. It can't be lost, but it also can be recognized that you're three and seven in your last 10. You lost, you were three and four against the Nationals and Pirates this weekend, this week. And your offense has sort of hit a standstill. And the guys that you know you bring in with Carlos Santana and Mark Canna have not necessarily produced. I know Canna had three hits, I think, on Friday night, but it, it, it's definitely not looking great for the Brewers. And it's great to have Brandon Woodruff back. He looked tremendous. I mean, two bad pitches for Brandon Woodruff. That was it. Corbin Burns was a little more shaky. He had four walks. And the Brewers had seven walks as a pitching staff on Saturday. That's why Saturday was just was so disjointed and you're happy they won. But they need to, they, they kind of need to put the pedal to the metal at some point. And you have the Colorado Rockies. You have the White Sox. This is a perfect week for the Brewers to string off six wins. I, I don't expect that because that's baseball and you can't, but the, there's nothing that the, Bre the Brewers need to win these two series. They need to at least be four and two. And I feel like today is a really important game for the Brewers because you're facing a righty in Peter Lambert. He's not very good. You have Freddie Peralta on the mound. Freddie's had his struggles, you know, but he, his last start at American Family Field was really good. So can Freddie emulate that again? And again, and the Washington start he had wasn't that bad. It was just he, 
you know, have one bad inning. So can Freddie avoid that big inning against the Colorado team? That's pretty lifeless, right? They they beat the Rockies one to nothing on, or I'm sorry, they beat the Cardinals one to nothing on Sunday. But they they got one run across. Then they they I think they only got two runs across on Saturday against Stephen Matt. So can they? Can the Brewers, you know, find that offense again? Can they find that stroke? I do think they have to bring Willie Adamas down in the order. I know Willie Adamas has power. I know what he's capable of, but Willie Adamas is a shell of himself at this point. I was okay with Willie Adamas in the middle of the order. I am no longer. They tried doing cleanup. Uh, It's not working. So guess what? You have to bring Willie Adamas down in the order. Bring, I guess you bring Mark Hanna up and you've Canna and Adamas switch spots and have Sal Freelick hit in the middle. I don't know how I feel about Canna hitting cleanup either. Um, so maybe it's, you know, you have three lefties to start, basically, if Santana's, you know, hitting a switch hitter, hitting from the left side, and then you have Canna fifth and Adamas sixth, and that's maybe your best lineup. And Trang probably moves up a little bit. Trang's been hitting the ball really well. I, I think that is a, a positive, you know, from this weekend. I thought Abner and Rebe looked great in the two two outings that he had uh, on Friday as well as Sunday. So that's, again, another good one. Uh, Devin Williams was solid on Sunday or on Saturday. I So there are like positives, you know, from this weekend. This was probably the worst Yelich weekend that we've seen in a while um, to go back negatively. Uh, but the Brewers just need to, need to sort of pick it up. And they need to, if they're putting a little too much pressure on themselves, fucking relax. All right, just play like you were to start the All-Star break. Play like that version of that baseball team before you, you know, had the Braves. The Braves really sucked that much out of you. And I gotta say, like the Braves taking getting taken two out of three from the Chicago Cubs was a big red flag to me. That was that's the official I've pushed the panic button about the Cubs. And I think I said that to Mitch on Thursday. I was like, if the Cubs come through here and, and win two out of three, then I have to I have to take them seriously. I can't just say, oh, it's a cool story. They win a bunch of games, run differential, yada, yada. No, it's uh, it's it's not crunching time. We're in it. We're in a three-team race. It's it's going to be good. There is a chance there still could be, you know, a wild card opportunity there, but it's not going to be easy. And to look at the week ahead, I, I feel like the Brewers have the easiest week out of them. So you play Colorado for three. Then you play the hapless White Sox for three. You'll have a lot of Brewer fans in Chicago, you know, checking that weekend series out. There will not be a lot of White Sox fans actively looking to go to those games. So I think it should be a week the Brewers to capitalize. Chicago's New York play a Mets team that is pretty much dead. Uh, they lost three straight to the Orioles. They're catching the Mets at a great time. And then they go to Toronto, which is not easy. Um, that will be difficult. Um, and Toronto's playing pretty solid baseball. They just swept the Red Sox, pretty much kind of killed any momentum that the Red Sox had, you know, post-trade uh, deadline. You have the Reds and Marlins uh, in Cincinnati, which is a loser-leaves-town match. Uh, both teams are really struggling. Uh, the Marlins got swept by the Rangers over the weekend. They have, you know, been a mess really since uh, after the All-Star break. Similarly to the Diamondbacks, uh, it's, the NL has just sort of, kind of imploded on its own self. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see who comes out of that uh, that series. And then they go to Pittsburgh uh, over the weekend. So they'll get their dose of the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, starting on, on the weekend, which didn't work out for the Reds this weekend against the Nationals who swept them. 
So it, it's going to be very interesting to see how this week shapes up because next week for the Brewers, they go to LA and they go to Texas. And that's hard. That's really fucking difficult. And then Minnesota, who is hanging around, right? They're not, they have a lot of good baseball players. They just haven't necessarily been able to execute consistently. Very Brewer-esque, but maybe out of like a, a, a tier down. So I, I really hope that things start, you know, pulling in the Brewers' direction. You know, if they could get Ryan Tellez back, that adds just another bat to your order. Uh, maybe it's more Brian Anderson, less Andrew Monastero. I don't know. Uh, but they they definitely need a little bit more. And I, I hope that it is, you know, this is not the start of a swoon. And that this is not the, you know, big red flashing letters that the Brewers are on their way to danger and that suddenly the Cubs take a stranglehold of the division. You have to take it day by day. You have to ride the roller coaster as we always talk about. But this is certainly a week where the Brewers need to deliver. And let's hope they do. There's there's no excuses now. You have you have Wood Woodruff back, you have Burns, they you have those guys ready and raring to go, as well as Wade Miley, Aaron uh not Aaron Ashby yet, Fred Peralta and Adrian Hauser. So let's see if the Brewers can do it and do it with not just pitching, but a little bit of offense as well. All right, that does it for our Monday show. We'll be back tomorrow uh, with a Tuesday show, as I said. And then I've, you know, it's like, oh, won't do show Wednesday. And then we have the hard knocks, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, everyone I'm sure will be talking about it. So I might have to pop on Wednesday, just do a quick, quick thing on hard knocks. We'll see. Um, I'll, TBD that for now, uh, but yeah, it's, it's here, man. We're we're in, we're in the shit. Uh, about a month from now, we'll be reacting to Packers Bears and whatever happens for that. Uh, should be should be something else, man. Uh, should definitely be something else. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great Monday. Hope your Monday starts off well, uh, and we'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.